You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit our website at InsideActingPodcast.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 111 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Alga. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors and directors and writers and casting producers and uh, voiceover artists and professional organizers and financial gurus and and filmmakers and everybody involved with the entertainment industry. Everybody. I think we are on our way to hitting just about every possible <laughs> kind of twist on a job. We need in the some grips, industry. some best boys. Yeah, we got to get there, but we're working on it. Uh, yeah, we interview those people and then stick it into a, a podcast on the internet for free for you, you every s- weekish. You said casting producer. Do those exist. Did <laughs> you did, and I think you're, I think there might actually be a position, a casting. Pro- I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, we should make one up. Yeah. As you can tell, we are just two dudes with a podcast. <laughs> we uh, we don't uh, pretend to be experts on any subject, uh, but uh, you know that's art. You know, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. art. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you have uh, anything you'd like to contribute to the podcast, please do so. You can start at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on today's episode, we have part two of our chat with Blake Robbins and Armin Shimmerman. Uh, this is a three-part interview, but today we uh, get a little bit deeper with Blake on how he made his film. And then next week in part three, we get to talk to Armin about how his experience uh, going from basically, <laughs> he's got a great story. You guys will hear it next week. But uh, anyway, yeah, part two of, uh, of that interview series coming up soon. So stick around for that. dude <clears throat> i'm i'm well trevor i'm well i uh i i you know i'm getting up early getting stuff done it's yeah good. it's yeah. good yeah i was thinking um remember we talked about uh on last week's episode about our friend um oh friend and podcast guest now caduce talking about you know are you bringing all of your expertise to bear mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and there's there's something very interesting about that concept in general because the other thing that I was thinking about uh, this week is what things you can do to increase your knowledge. Um, I'm I'm actually uh, getting trained right now to work for my girlfriend's company, and I spent an hour on um, <clears throat> on uh, Skype last night with her her boss, learning about. Um, Enterprise retail, uh, what's it called? ERP, Enterprise Retail. I like how I can't even remember the the title. Enterprise Retail Planning. Anyway, um, it's essentially like inventory management and that kind of thing, but like at a really granular level. He like went over some stuff for like an hour, and when we were done with the call, I just realized I'm like, I now know I have a knowledge about this particular subject that's greater than probably like 99% of human beings on earth. Hmm. And that just like, it, it like triggered something. I was like, I want to go, I was like, let's go to a community college 
and take like a business class in this, <clears throat> just pay, you know, however much it is, a couple hundred bucks or whatever, do some like, you know, class in this. And all of a sudden, like my knowledge base around this subject matter is greater than 99% of human beings on planet earth, like 99.9%. And it reminded me of, you know, four hour work week, you know, where, um, you know, Tim just talks about like, just read, what does he say? Like the top four books or something? Yeah, top three bestsellers in that category. <clears throat> in that category. And, and you, then boom. You become almost an expert to most people. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, and then I came over here and we're just hanging out and your roommate, <laughs> your roommate takes advantage of this. Uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like Craigslist flipping you were saying. Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah. You want to talk about what just what just happened? Yeah, it's cool. You know, my roommate uh, Michelle is so she just has like the magic touch when it comes to this stuff. She just finds things either on Craigslist, like in the free area, or she just finds stuff like laying around, like in the street, and she'll just grab it and then flip it on Craigslist to post it and actually like she's made a lot of money that way. And she was just she just came in and she's like, Trevor, there's this really nice little desk and chair down by the dumpster. It's in good <laughs> shape. Do you wanna take it and then flip it on Craigslist? And I was like, She does this all the time. So if she's telling me that this looks good, it probably does. And I went down and it looks great. It's in perfect shape. And she's like, You should totally just put it up there for like fifty bucks or best offer and and see what you can get. And I'm like Sweet. Like, yeah. why not? You know, there's an unconventional thrival job for you. I mean, part-time gig, you know, it basically comes down to this. I look at it this way. How long is it going to take me to bring that desk up to my apartment, clean it off, photograph it, and post it? Probably about an hour to do all that stuff. At, at right? the most. At the most. Then I maybe spend cumulatively 20 to 30 minutes fielding phone calls from people or emails from people that are interested. Then maybe 15 minutes helping them get it out to their car when they come pick it up. So that's probably two hours worth of work. If that desk goes for 40 bucks, that's $20 an hour. Mm -hmm. That's not bad Mm -hmm. for something I would have otherwise probably just been sitting around. And I, I I think it'd actually be less than that. I think it'll take you an hour, an hour's work total, um, all told from front to finish. Like it's so cool. And if it goes for 50 bucks, that's yeah, you're right. It's 50 bucks an hour. She does it all the time. Just, just yesterday she was over here on her computer on eBay and she was just poking around She's selling some stuff, like selling like some some glasses frames or something. Mm-hmm. And she realized that one that she had is worth like a couple hundred bucks, and it was getting all these bids. And uh, which happens all the time for her. It's just she could pick a board off the ground and sell it for like thirty <laughs> bucks. Um, but she her her mom, I guess, has this old like carousel horse in her garage, and she just found out those go for like twenty five hundred dollars. What? And so she's like, it's just been sitting there gathering dust for ten years. I'm gonna go grab it and sell it. And I was just what? like, wow, like, and there, I, I know, I don't know, but I have a really strong feeling there are people that do this part time and probably make a significant portion of their income just doing that kind of thing. I think there are books on this actually. I mean, I cause like there are, there are books, there's like eBay for dummies and stuff. There's probably a Craigslist for dummies too, but I think there are books that are specifically written for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you're right. People probably make like a lot of money, like, and it's just cash income like i i mean i guess technically you have to report it to the irs please don't sue us but right. you know yeah there's got to be i mean i love it i mean you're right unconventional travel job right yeah, like yeah i mean imagine you do two or three of those a week and make <clears throat> maybe 150 bucks you know that's over the course of months, that's 600 a month. dollars a yeah. month i mean that would take care of a lot for me yeah 
a lot. Take care of a lot for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, you 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 knock that up to, um, well, let's say two hundred dollars a week. You know, if mm-hmm. you manage to do that, you manage to do two hundred dollars a week. That's yeah. That's uh, that's rent. And at that point, you're investing probably you know ten fifteen hours a week doing this, but still, uh, it's 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 flexible. You're on your own time. It's cash. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of perks to outweigh the, the cons. And like you, you know? said, she's just got an eye for it now. She's really good you at know? it. Yeah. She had a big stack of uh, CDs and stuff over here that were sitting there for a couple of weeks. And she went to Amoeba and sold it and got like, I think she only got like 25 bucks for it. But then they went out and bought groceries. Yeah. Like just simple groceries. And she's like, that was easy. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> look at all these DVDs I have. I'm totally going to Amoeba next week. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I don't watch those anymore. Like, they've been sitting there for years. I haven't watched any of them. Although it might be tough to fart part with uh, Fight Club, fart with pipe, fart with <laughs> fart with Fight Club, it might be tough because I love that movie. Yeah, no, 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 you can't yeah. get rid of Fight Club. Um, yeah, I, I I knew I I heard about some people who will go to um, these like mid mid high level, not nah, mid level like fat like I don't want to say high level fashion because that's like you know, millions of dollars, but, uh, or thousands of dollars to buy the clothes, but <clears throat> they would go to like, um, you know, anthropology or, um, not forever 21. What are some, I'm not a girl, so I don't know, but anthropology and they would buy, um, clothes that were on like the clearance rack or something like that. And then hang on to them until like they were out of season or like sold out or no one sold that type of dress anymore. And, and so when they're no longer available, but someone wants them in that size, you can get, you can fetch like three times what they were being sold for on eBay. Hmm. And they just do this for a living. Shoes, dresses, like all kinds of stuff. So awesome. I mean, you know, obviously it takes some investment and some doing some research. Like we said, you know, there's books on it and stuff, but I don't know, just interesting way to make money. It's a business. Yeah. It's a, it's another little side business you could create for yourself. I'd love this, man. This is cool. There's, like I said, I think it was two episodes ago. I said, I'm like, look, I don't care. Wrap my car with an advertisement. I don't yeah, care. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm right at this point. I'm just like looking for every, you know, possible thing. And I don't think, you know, I think maybe what has kept me from doing this in the past is a conversation about like, I don't know, like scrounging. Is that the right it word? It does like, feel in a weird <laughs> way, like a variation on dumpster diving. You know, you know what I mean. But at the same time, there was that whole. There was an episode of Oprah. Did you see that? No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you could probably find it on uh, find bits of it on YouTube or something. Yeah, she did this whole episode on these people who were like quote unquote professional dumpster divers, uh, professional like trash collectors or whatever, and they were finding insane stuff. Yeah, insane. Like some of them that like this sounds disgusting, but some of them that was like their grocery shopping trip. Because yeah. they found so many like unopened, like non-perishable, you know, like canned food, mm-hmm. for instance, like in the trash, and would just take it. They would just take it home. Like that yeah. was like how they. It, it, so they sustained themselves with food that way. They sold things that they found. They they found clothes that all all they needed to do was get washed. Like and then you know stuff that they was that was useful for them. They kept and stuff that wasn't they sold. Yeah. And they were making yeah. like tons of money tons of money like this one guy was like making like six figures a year yeah i mean just insane um 
I don't know what goes into God. that, but that became after that episode of Oprah. Like, I think somebody came out with a book about it, and I think there might have even been like a documentary that came out about it. Uh-huh. I wonder if any of our listeners either have experience doing that. I'm like, how many of you are I jumping wonder, in trash cans? I, I, I wonder because <clears throat> you know Britt Marlene, who I've talked about many times on the podcast. I'm a big fan of hers, and she will be on the podcast one day. Yes, um, she spent. She has a movie out in theaters right now called The East that she co-wrote and, and stars in. And uh, Helen pa- or Ellen Page is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Alexander Skarsgård, a couple other kind of name actors, and it's based partly on the, a summer that she spent with the uh, co-writer, like traveling, like hopping on trains, like traveling across the country, and literally just living off of dumpster diving. What? And so there's a whole documentary out there as well on people that do this, and I mean, it's an alternative way to live, but it, it can be done. And a lot of people choose to do it. They could go get a job or they could do this and they choose to do this. And it just goes to show, A, if you're resourceful, if you have that resourceful frame of mind, you can do anything. But B, we are so wasteful as Americans, oh, yeah. just generally speaking. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other day I was walking to my car and this dude in my complex, he thought I was somebody else. I was coming around the corner and he's like, hey, come here. To I guess he thought I was his wife or something coming around the corner <laughs> i don't know what that says about the way i walk but uh uh or what how she walks who knows but um <laughs> so either you corner. walk either you walk daintily yeah, or right. she walks like a ogre yeah <laughs> hey man come on now uh so i'm walking Listen, around the corner. i gotta get you back for ages old okay? it, <laughs> yeah all right we're even uh so i'm coming around the corner and uh and i see him and he goes oh oh i thought you were my wife and i was like i was like it's cool and he shows me this 40 something inch flat screen looks brand new it's an lg flat screen tv that he's got on the ground by his car wrapped in a towel and he goes he goes check this out i just found this on the curb and i was like what and he goes this is the third one i found this week and i was like does it work and he goes i don't know probably the other two did and I was like, are you what? serious? He's like, people just throw this stuff out, man. And I was like, no way. And he goes, if I find another one, and I probably will at this rate, I'll let you know. And I was like, please do. And Nathaniel, my other roommate, has a TV in his room that was out by the dumpster a couple months ago that he just picked up, brought in. That works fine. What? And his desk and, and chair is in great shape, and people just toss it. So it's kind of amazing, actually. That's insane. It's kind of, it's kind of like, <clears throat> it kind of makes my noodle <laughs> just that people toss this stuff. You know? Wow. Wow. I don't know. Well, I wonder, because you were also saying that Michelle would sometimes go onto the free section of Craigslist. Yeah. Yeah. Grab she's stuff done off that of there before, yeah. and then sell it. She, she sold a $100 exercise bike that way. She made a hundred bucks, found an exercise bike, brought it home. It was barely used and sold it for a hundred bucks. 150 actually, I think. Wow. I was here when the dude came to pick it up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, so, oh, and I need to add this on because this is the kind of thing that can happen. And when she went to pick up that exercise bike, the dude who was selling it or giving it away rather also had a basement full of old road bikes and was like, I'm trying to get rid of these too. If you want them, take what? them. What? And I, I'm not sure what panned out with that. I didn't, I've never actually followed up with her, but I believe that she grabbed at least a few of them and, I want, and sold I want those. Because those things can go for like, you know, some of those can go for like two three seven thousand dollars yeah depending on the brand and, and the and, parts and, and the parts and what's yeah so i'm not sure what happened with that or if she actually got those or not but that's crazy because i actually i i've been wanting a bike yeah. uh, so if any of our listeners have any uh uh experience with this or maybe you've read one of these books or seen one of these documentaries um please 
uh, reach out to us. Maybe maybe one of the documentaries or books could be a listener pick of the week, but also just if you have like really random stories of doing this, or if you think you're going to try it, try it out. Try it out for like a month or two, and then send us your story after that or something. Yeah, like that would be I, so cool. I think it could help when you're in those tight, tight spots, and you <clears> might, <throat> and you just need like twenty bucks for gas for your car or something. We've all been there. I wonder yeah. if this is uh, something that could be a viable solution. Well, like right now, my brain is on an inventory search <laughs> through my life. Well, this is kind of what you did to pay for your advanced course, right? Didn't uh, you go through? I remember seeing on your Twitter bit. feed you went through your closet and basically you sold a bunch of stuff. A little bit. I sold. I sold an old computer that I wasn't using anymore. Um, I sold a uh, a guitar that I wasn't using at all because I had I had an acoustic and electric and I never used the electric. Um, uh, so I sold it, um, and then I, I worked. I did you know yeah. uh, a bunch of other stuff, but uh, those two things the the computer and the guitar really uh, set me up. Awesome. So, but I yeah, I mean I've got gosh tons of books and like DVDs. Like you said, the only problem with the DVDs is like I want to be able to watch them someday. And like this is this is tough because like ripping them is illegal. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. And being in the industry, we don't necessarily want to create that kind of karma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, who didn't use, you know, Napster and Kazaa and... Yeah. Morpheus. Um, Morpheus. Jeez. And uh, I like how we're like advertising all the... <laughs> this is how <laughs> yeah. you steal shit. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> anyway. No, but I mean, everybody did. And then as I grew up, as I got older um, and got into this industry... I realized, you know, who I was taking from, and it was me, um, yeah. and all of my friends, and all of my colleagues. So I, I stopped that. Um, so that's kind of tough. I feel like I maybe going to hang on to the DVDs. Then it starts to morph into this conversation about not necessarily hoarding, but like what we as Americans specifically like to keep, hang on to, own. Hey, uh, <laughs> one thing before we jump into the interview, one thing I want to ask you about is, uh, and I'm, you don't, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but last night was kind of an interesting situation that our listeners might dig. We were at our thrival job and a casting director that you had worked oh. with previously came in and you said to me like, oh, I'm not sure if I wanted to see me in this context. And, but then of course you ended up talking to him and it worked out great. Yeah, but, uh, thank you for that. I would I, love to talk about that. Thanks, Trevor. Um, yeah, the guy, uh, I think his name is Kerry Barden, who uh, cast me in um, Broken Horses, was at our our thrival job last night. And Trevor and I work in a theater, so we're it's kind of customer service, basically. And pa- Patron <clears throat> engagement. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I was like, I don't know if I want to, like have him see me here and have me be that guy. But, you know, it was cool. Like he, not only did we have a great chat, I was able to ask him if he had seen the movie yet. Cause he was supposed to, I saw him at the screening, but he wasn't there for the screening. He was first there for something else. And he was like, you know, I didn't get to see it that week. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. So we chatted about the movie. And then I asked him if he had ever cast Val before. Cause, um, Val Kimmer's doing a show at the theater that we that we work at, and and he was like, oh yeah, like he cast him in the Doors, and like going way wow. back, like Joe the King or something like that. Okay. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so he cast them in a, he cast him in a bunch of movies and stuff, and then he was like, oh, I'm just waiting for my friend. His friend shows up. I I I don't I didn't catch the guy's last name, but he introduced me to him, and he was a director, 
And when he introduced me, he was like, this is like, I can't remember what he said, but he said something like, this is a wonderful actor, AJ, he's coming to our office like several times, da, 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 da. So like, he introduced me to a director that they work with at his office, who's like a friend of his, as an, like a wonderful actor. And the guy got to meet me on like a very like casual basis. So, so many good things in that, like meeting the director, the way that he introduced me, now I know that he, that... That's how he thinks of me. And he was willing to say that to a colleague of his. Yeah. I mean, talk about booking the office. Like, <laughs> if I fit anything that goes through there, they're going to bring me in. And I really appreciated, like, Trevor actually gave me some some coaching <laughs> last night. He was like, hey, man, you never know. Like, you know, what are you making up about it? And uh, and uh, I was. I was making up a lot about it. So that was cool. Uh, I got to tell him about, you know, because he asked me what I was up to. So I got to tell him about Life Partners, the, the movie I did with Adam Brody. And yeah, yeah. It was just kind of, you know, it was a great conversation like a very like la conversation i was trying to bring in like all the stuff that we talk about on the podcast like being generous and asking you about him and so i was just like i kept asking questions about the office and like the last time i was in there how did that project turn out da, 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 da. like just kept you know did my best to keep the focus on him but like he was interested in what you know he's asking me questions too so it was very cool very cool cool yeah awesome i'm so glad that you went and, and chatted with him because you know, I think most of the time, any exposure is kind of good exposure, um, you know, obviously given the circumstances, but for the most part, any exposure. And, you know, we all understand that everybody has like multiple gigs in this town and when they're between actual acting jobs, they've got to support themselves. So how cool is it that you got a chance to kind of refine your brand and, and round out yourself as a person in his eyes and for him to just see you again and go, oh, yeah. That guy's awesome. And here he is making things happen, even when he's between jobs. And he wasn't shy about coming up to me. Like, I'm just, I'm so happy that that turned out well. And I saw you give him a hug afterwards and meet the other guy. And I was like, damn, it's just fucking awesome. So thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you saw yeah. a lot of people last night. You had a, an old coworker that you saw as well. And yeah. And then a, and an old uh, friend of mine from UCLA all came in yeah. who is now writing screenplays. She quit her job. And she was just writing screenplays full time, full time. And for her. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. So I was like, totally inspirational and send me your stuff. Yeah. We're, we're friends on Facebook. I was like, send me your stuff. I'd love to read it. I'd love to, I mean, if you need somebody to, uh, you know, we always use this phrase, but if you need somebody to hold a boom mic, like I'm totally uh -huh. there. Like yeah. you let me know. You know, that's something <clears> I've been <throat> thinking about lately too. Uh, we're going to leave a few minutes left. So I'll, I'll, I'll be quick with this, but our buddy, David, uh, Thorpe. Oh yeah. From, uh, the MITT world. Um, has been extremely supportive of me, uh, just as a person, um, since I've met, and I've only really known him a short time and he's really kind of invested in me with his energy. And he, uh, I was telling him the other day, we were at a training a few weeks ago and I, he said, uh, how's it going? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I got to find another, another thrival job to kind of pay the bills for right now. And he's like, well, what's stopping you from just going full tilt with the acting? And I was like, well, you can't just go out and get hired on an acting job. He's like, why not? And I was like, because you know, you have to you have to get called in. And he's like, so why don't you just go get called in? And I was like, because, and I had, I couldn't, I couldn't answer. I was like, because it's not the way it works. And he's yeah. like, why doesn't it work that way? And I was like, you don't understand. He's like, he's like, well then explain to me. And I was like, I, and I just, I just, I had no answer for him. And really what he was 
demonstrating, I think, or, or not even getting that consciously. But what I realized was that I've been making up a lot of stories and excuses about how it works and why it's not working in my favor. And I just thought to myself, okay, what if I were to do exactly what your friend did? Quit my job and just go like the only way I could support myself is if I were to be hired as an actor or, 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 uh, work on a film set or something like, what if I really narrowed all my opportunities so that I was only had a few options and then I had to make them work or I'd starve, you know? And I just thought about it. I mean, I haven't actually grown the balls to actually go do that yet, but how powerful would that be? And how, and what kind of results would I be able to create in a short amount of time if those were my only options? It's like uh, Blake talked about it the first time he was on the show about how his wife got pregnant you remember this? And she yeah, was like, yeah. she was like, look, you, you got to quit acting or make money. Like that, those are your only, uh, and, and he, that's what he did. He went out and like, you know, it was like what a month later he booked Oz or something like yeah, it was just yeah. boom, 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 boom. <clears throat> and it's, it's the power of intention, man. It really is. It really yeah. is. I, you know, I ran into a friend at a, at an audition recently. Um, and that she was talking to, uh, one of the guys that worked in the office that was not involved in production at all. He just happened to be like sharing office space with, with where they're having the auditions. So he's asking a lot of questions about the industry, kind of like David was asking you. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, she was like, I, I am, I am a full-time artist. She's like, I hustle. That's what I do. I'm a professional hustler. Like she's, she was just saying like, I, I, I told myself because she, she was actually from Australia. And she was like, I told myself I was coming to the United States to to make a living as an actor. And that's what I'm here to do, like no matter what it takes. And so she's done a little bit of everything. She's done a little bit of modeling. She's done extra work. She's done producing. She's um, been on set, like doing, I don't know, background work. She's been an actor. She's gotten hired. She's done commercials. She's done web series. She's done like whatever it takes. Um, and her income only comes from the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's really powerful. <clears throat> that is really, really powerful. Yeah. And I love that just paradigm shift of just like, no, this is what I do. I'm not a UPS guy that acts on the side. Like I am an actor and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a UPS guy. That's just, that's just not what I do. It's not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. It'd be insane for a plumber to go, I'm a plumber, but I work at UPS. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it makes no sense. But for some reason in this industry, I mean, I know the reasons, but I wonder if it's all just a big illusion, just a big fallacy that enough people bought into. And so it became this real thing that never was really real in the first place. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's no extra credit for the struggle. Yeah. I kind of love that saying. I love that saying. So, uh, wow, man, a lot to kind of digest there for, uh, well, for myself and <laughs> hopefully for our listeners as well. Our listeners, yeah. Between dumpster diving, um, <laughs> approaching people when you're not an actor and then only being an actor. You know, um, it's cool because, you know, somebody said recently, you know, like every minute that you spend doing something else is a minute that you take away from developing your business or building your dream, hmm. you know, or, or really focusing on those high leverage activities. And so what would be possible if it was just all in, maybe I'll just leave it at that for our uh, part one here and jump into the uh, episode or the interview. I love it. I love it. So there it is. What would happen if we were all in part two of our chat with Blake and Armin coming up right now? Yeah. Enjoy this guys. We'll catch you on the other side. Wow. 
Wow. That's so that's so great. So you you wore a lot of hats and you really created a culture uh, on set and around this project that yeah. was that was actor really actor centric. Yeah, like. well, ask Armin about if it was actor centric or not because I I know what I did and how I approached it. But well, most of the days that I was there, it was actor centric. It was just me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was by design. Yeah. We wanted you to feel comfortable, exactly. <laughs> isolated, and isolated, and isolated. <laughs> exactly. But all the people I spoke to on the project were very excited about it. You you can hear Blake's energy and enthusiasm in the interview. And that's genuine, and, and people recognize that immediately. So they were very eager to get behind and get on to Blake's wagon and do whatever he wanted because <laughs> they knew that they were dealing with a genuine person who was simply there oh. to do something wonderful, artistic, uh, and to do the very best he could. And, and if these people were involved, they were ha- very happy to contribute. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. Wow. wow. So, so Let's it's take a, a minute. I need to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Armin, you're in the next uh, one. Uh, you're in the next one. <laughs> All right, you can have again. the title <laughs> role. Maybe somewhere, somewhere, somewhere bizarre. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you you finished shooting in 12 days. Yep. And uh, and how did you deal with the union stuff? I imagine that a lot of your crew was, was union. Um, uh, Kansas is a right-to-work state, um, the, which was another reason for the choice. So the, a lot, of, a lot the, of your crew was from, I mean, we talked about the, the schools and stuff. But. Yeah, the crew was absolutely not union. Um, the actors were. We did get our SAG low budget agreement in place. I we, would not have done it otherwise. Yeah, and uh-huh. and, and, I, and that was important to me. I, I'm also a SAG actor as well as the director writer of the film, and uh, I uh, you know I got everyone there hundred dollars a day. You know, um, I did what I had to do to. Uh, and that's again, a lot of paperwork, by the way. It is a lot of paperwork. Yeah, yeah. I had to get a few people involved in that ang- angle because, uh, you know. <laughs> The other thing I would inspire someone out there listening who wants to make their own movie, don't let the stuff you don't know stop you from making a movie. I'm living, breathing proof that that doesn't have to stop you. There's the stuff you know, so you're good with that. There's the stuff you know you don't know, so you're good with that. You you go and find someone to help you with that. The only stuff that's tricky is the stuff you don't know you don't know. Uh-huh. you got to be open <laughs> to that. you got to be looking, you know, you got to be um, sort of, Looking in all areas for, okay, here's something coming that I didn't know I didn't know about. And Mm. make sure you – I surrounded myself with a lot of eager, talented people who were willing to buy into my craziness. And filmmaking craziness can come in any form. I'm describing mine, but what what inspired me to let my own version of crazy out was watching other filmmakers do it in very different ways. There's not one way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm preaching that idea is if anyone out there thinks this is crazy, but I think I can do it, you can. And you don't have to know everything to do it. Hmm. you got to be willing to take a couple of steps every day. And you got to be willing to tolerate the days when nothing's happening because there's a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are, the, those are the hardest days when nothing's happening. And now I'm going to argue with you a little. Yeah, good. Uh, um, that's absolutely true. But you had – although – you may not have directed as uh, many times before. You had been an actor on a professional yeah. set lots of times. Yeah. So intuitively, you had picked up ideas simply from being on a set and, and working with professional crews and professional situations. Absolutely. So, so the very things that you were just describing about about being ahead of the curve because you knew this would happen and you knew that would happen, that 
that only comes from from your experience, and not everyone has your professional experience. That's right. And I would encourage any actor out there who has the inkling that they might want to write, film, direct, um, or, or do whatever. From day one, the first time I stepped on sets, I was an apprentice for a, a filmmaking career that I knew one day I wanted to have. So hmm. um, hmm. unlike other actors who may uh, come to set, do their job, and then go retreat, I, you can always find me around the monitor. As unobtrusive as humanly possible, I've never been asked to leave, and I always kind of creep away when I can tell that there, this is a time for me not to be around monitor. You can always <laughs> sense those times. Um, but I will put myself in a position to watch what's going on. Hmm. I've done projects that I wouldn't have done ordinarily just to be around the experience because you can learn a lot from disastrous experiences. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I definitely last year I did a handful of short films, some I may not have done to get myself more on set experience. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I had apprenticed to be a filmmaker for 20 years through my acting career, and, and it, and, and it had given given me my version of okay. Here seems to be all the rules and the rule books. I can break all of those in this way to do my movie the way I want to do it. And I've set myself up financially to have to answer to no one. Hmm. And just you know, I, I put as many filmmakers around me as I could. You know, I considered my DP a filmmaker. I considered my sound team filmmakers. I considered my actors filmmakers. So going back to SAG, I also designed the film so that I could work with 20 or 30 non-actors or local actors from Kansas and yet carry 90, 95% of the performance with the five or six I was going to travel right. to Kansas. Right. And that's what I did. You know, I, I, I definitely felt like, well, this film is going to be well-performed. I'm going to get uh -huh. the best people I can. I'm going to inspire them. I'm going to... I, I'm gonna, uh, what, uh, whatever I, I did to... How did I get you to be in the movie? Well, first thing, you, you, we, we <laughs> had a good time backstage and at the play we were doing together. Right. So we formed a relationship. And, and then uh, you very sneakily said, I've got this <laughs> script I'd like for you to read. And I read it, and it was really quite quite incredible. And, uh, and I told him it was incredible. And then he had the chutzpah to say, well, would you like to be in it? And then I was caught. So uh, <laughs> and, and, and happy to do it. But but uh, so that's the process, right? And your talents were underutilized in the film. But I felt like that part was so important to the to to the to you. You saw the film. I yeah. felt like that yeah. character needed to have a presence that extended because of the way I organized the film, where uh, you follow one sort of central character, my character, through most of the film. And that was also a way for me to know that I could get the film because I knew how fast I could work. I wasn't sure how fast everyone else could work. Mm -hmm. I trusted mm -hmm. I trusted myself, but I thought, well, if I, I mean, it was essentially, I'm going to do the off-Broadway version of an off-Broadway movie, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and if I, like I put that. the workload on myself and if I know that I can, that I, if I'm in every scene, I can get eight, nine pages a day. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. But for the film to work, we had to believe everyone who came into my, you know, my experience, and we had to believe them. Uh, you know, I, I'm very proud of the actors and the jobs I did. That even with their limited screen time, I feel like you believe where they've been and where they're going, even mm -hmm. with the little interaction that we get from them. And I, and I felt like this this part really needed a presence, and I and I knew Armin was a phenomenal actor, and and. It's, it, and I, I just found I find him interesting. 
hmm. me, a director, writer, I find him as a human being interesting. And and I wanted people to care about his character with very mm-hmm. little little to go on. Yeah. <laughs> they had very little to go on because of the way we set up the film. But they, but but the film didn't work for me if you didn't care about him as, you know, just as much yeah. as the character you saw throughout the film. Yeah. And if you didn't wonder about him, and if you didn't sort of um, see his tragedy, see his pain, see his struggle with so little screen time. Right. What made <laughs> yeah, the character yeah, yeah. interesting to me was the angst that he was going through about what the character had done. And um, and that's just a good writing on, on anyone's part, but in this case, on Blake's part. Yeah, yeah, I definitely achieved. Uh, I I uh, I don't. I got the sense that his character obviously had an alcohol problem, but it wasn't clear whether he was a chronic, you know, alcoholic. Right. But I having you know like that. <laughs> it's it's. I don't know. I I felt real sympathy for him. I didn't hate him. Yeah, it was really important to me that yeah. you don't. Because yeah. the movie wasn't about whether someone was evil or villainous or, you know. Right. That never pays off if you're too... Unless yeah. you're doing that kind of a movie, a, a super villain movie or a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, there have to be human beings or we just tune out. We yeah. just go, this, yeah. this doesn't affect me. It's just somebody doing a project, you know. Yeah. So yeah. And that was just, again, good writing, good thinking on Blake's part. Yeah. And on that note, tell me a little bit about the... the placeholder scenes you had written and how you guys just kind of got together and improvised stuff? Um, well, uh, as a writer, I don't hold anything precious. For me, it's all about the opportunity for the gold, which for me is the moment. So I designed the entire filmmaking process to support the moment. So it was very important to me that the people that worked on the film, especially the keys, understand that um, I find my experience of being on set a lot of time is that the moment is is sort of derailed by the apparatus of making uh, okay. making the movie. Um, everything mm. gets elevated except the moment, and mm. and great actors carve out the moment anyway. <laughs> great actors, really good actors, you pay them to sort of be the only person on set that will sort of um, celebrate the moment and, and, and stop all the madness that is going on around it. I mean, and I, I think great directors do it too, to a certain degree, but there's, but there's sort of a reality of this is how a movie gets made. I came from a very acting background where the moment was everything to me, and that even meant more important than the script. Mm-hmm. If the script didn't serve the moment, the script was not no longer precious to me. If I didn't believe it when we sat down and sort of worked it out and looked at this and... And and uh, every scene I set up, the other actor would be, become a collaborator in the writing of the scene for me. And what worked on the page would hold up, and what didn't, you know, since it was my movie and my thing, I could just say, okay, that doesn't sound right. Even if it sounded right in my head or even on the page enough to get someone as great as Armin to be involved in it, uh, I might hire an actor, and all of a sudden that doesn't sound right coming out of their mouth. Hmm. I'm not going to force them to say that. It's not that important to me. The, the movie was more about what was happening in this moment between these two people. And, and, and I always had a clear vision for myself as a director what that was. And I tried to help the actors with that. But I always tried to meet them where they were. Hmm. Never try mm-hmm. to pull them over into my... Does that, does that make yeah. sense? You know, if I trusted the actor, I wanted to meet them where they were, not where I, I right. needed... You know. Wow. What a great, what a great approach. I mean, I know a lot of writers who, who love their words and I'm 
probably one of one of those people. I mean, I've only had a little bit of experience with it, but you know, I I'm definitely one of those people. But just to show up and say, okay, the important thing here is that the scene starts here and it ends here. Oh. Now, like this language is here as a tool, but if it doesn't serve you, then throw it out the window, and we'll find whatever needs to needs to happen to get us there. That's a really great approach. In my um, my limited experience doing films, because most of my work is TV and in theater, I have found in in shooting films, there's a lot more leeway to to leave the script and go off and do something else. Again, depending on on the actor's uh, uh, trust in themselves and the director's trust in the in the actors as well. Mm. But but there isn't the the, the requirement to to do a dead letter perfect uh, that you have oftentimes on some TV shows or certainly in the theater. Yeah, God, I would imagine so, especially in TV. I'm sure there's contracts and well, things like that that well, enforce it, that it, kind of it thing. It is. It is interesting that on on film scripts, uh, writers are often banned from the from <laughs> from the set. They're not allowed to be on the set, right. uh, and sort of as revenge, uh, writers became producers on, in TV. So now we have writer producers, and and then you have to do their words exactly as written. <laughs> Mm. Television is the writer's medium yes. currently, as it stands. They are the power. They, they wield the power. The power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, what's going on with the film now? I only overheard a little bit uh, before we started recording, but it sounds like good things are happening um, with, with the at least the rough cut that I saw, or perhaps a, another cut that is getting to the right people. Right, exactly. Uh, the rough cut that you saw is now an actual cut. Uh, it's uh, it's finished. Essentially, on Friday, I was handed a disc from uh, the company that assembled the film, titles, you know, they put our sound with our picture and all of that. And I had a handful of notes because that's who I am. <laughs> I, always, I always have something to contribute, but, uh, but it's essentially finished. And I want to stop you for one, one quick second. You outsourced all the editing and all that to a company no, or, or no. a friend or... No, I, I got a phenomenal editor named Jennifer Vecchiarello who uh, has worked um, – oh, she's working on the, the, the new Hunger Games movie. She cool. worked on uh, 500 Days of Summer. She worked on um, um, Spider-Man mm -hmm. with Mark Webb. Um, mm -hmm. She has been – I can't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head, but she's been his first assistant for a long time. Um, this is I, – I believe it's her first – time as lead editor on a film and one of the things that was a linchpin for me in terms of setting up the movie is I always wanted to have someone who should be at a better place in their career because they're absolutely <laughs> deserving of it yeah. from DP to editor to the person who did my score these are incredibly talented people who I got at the uh, at an early stage in their career where they should be um, uh, they should be the lead editors. They should be, you know, the he should be shooting Spider-Man, you know, those type of people. So what Blake is saying is that he recognizes talent before everybody else does. <laughs> that's a good thing to do. Uh, that's essentially <laughs> it. Right um, get great people who should who should be somewhere else. I feel like I'm that. I feel like that's the story of my acting career is that I've always been underappreciated, undervalued, and that people haven't come to me and said you should be the star of my TV show. Hmm. And so yeah. I I agree with Armin. I recognize talent. And so when I see talent, um, I not only want to get the best out of them, I want to put them in a position to do what they do best, but I want to be first. I want to be first and because then, I mean, these people will give me everything they've got because yeah. they know they're better. Yeah, They know. They know. 
I know that in two or three years from now, people are going to look at my little film and go, oh, my God, you got that editor, that person to score it, that person to shoot it? How did that confluence of events happen? I was like, because I saw them first. <laughs> I, I recognized it and said, and because hey, Blake come to is it. who Blake is, oh. and, and those people want to work for him. That's right. Mm. You have to remember. Other people wouldn't be able to do that, but Blake's energy, Blake's positivism... <laughs> Blake's collaboration is what makes people want to work with him, not not for him, with him. Mm. Well, that is, that's important. <clears throat> Very important. Important yeah. distinction, yeah. For again, for versus with. Well, I know what I know, right? So that's where that's where the creativity ends for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they know. That's uh, <laughs> I love that. I, so it's it's smart. I, yeah. I mean, you started talking about this great improvisation I had with Scott Winters on the on the scene. He came to me with something which my knee jerk reaction is, and it was the first day of filming, and I'm just getting my feet under me as a director. Um, and he had this idea, and he said, uh, "How about this?" And my knee jerk reaction is, "We've got 15 minutes to lunch, and I don't like the idea." And no, do it do it this way. Um, but somehow I tolerated myself, and I learned a, an immense, valuable, invaluable lesson for being a director, being a collaborator. As I said, sure. And then I tolerated it for a few takes. Well, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden, on another take, it just became unbelievable, better than I could have ever conceived. It's one of my favorite moments in the movie. It just unfolded for me. And I looked at it, and I said, always say yes. Hmm. If, if, if you believed you should have put this person here for a reason say yes because you know what i know what i know (laughs) i can come in you know at some point and say okay great now let's do this but until i give them permission to do what they know i'm not it's it's lost to me Mm -hmm. unless i say yes say sure do it yeah let's see it that's awesome (laughs) so so just to rewind for a quick second um the editor jennifer Jennifer how did, you, how did you connect with her? Well, my DP was so enjoying the experience of making the movie, and his wife is in the business, and she was actually Mark Webb's um, co-producer on Spider-Man and knew Jennifer, and so he made the connection. He actually made the connection to three or four editors. I went and met them, had lunch with them. Uh, as soon as I sat down and had lunch with her and talked about movie making, I knew she was the right person for the job. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give you all this footage, and uh, and you have a few months, and then... And then show me what you think, because I already know what I think. Uh-huh. She did that. We sat down together, and then we edited the movie together. That is so cool. My so thoughts. My thoughts ended you, up in the movie. So you sat and you, all of hers. You sat. You sat with her for a, a huge chunk of the editing process. And yeah, and it was my MFA program in, in filmmaking. I'm wow. much better prepared to make a movie now because I, I saw on uh, you know what I, I I probably spent six last summer. June, July, August, three months. We probably were together four or five full days out of every seven. Um, wow, just looking at all the well, takes. Well, if, you, if you're going to be a filmmaker, sit in the editing process, because even if you're not the editor and you don't do anything, you'll be a better filmmaker when you come out of it. Wow. Wow. Yes. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So I before all that, I, I had cut you off. You were telling me that, uh, yeah, the film's getting into some in front, um, in front of some good people. Yeah. Well... A wonderful thing happened for the film, which is when I had this rough cut and I had this Vimeo uploaded link, uh, someone who was familiar with the film said, can I send this to a producer friend of mine? And I I just remember he said, uh, he can change your life. 
And I said, for the better? And he said, <laughs> he said yes. I said, send it away. And months went by, and then this producer saw the film, and, and he's done, I think, 12 films. He's gotten himself to a place where one of the more recent films he did was with Robert De Niro and John Cusack, and uh, you know, significantly larger film than this. Uh, my friend was right that it was the right film for him to watch. He absolutely responded to it. It touched him deeply. Um, so he got involved, and he helped us get to the finishing line with Post. Uh, that process started, you know, the editing process started a long time ago. But in real uh, in real terms, we've gone through a heavy duty post process from last winter till just last week, where the film's assembled. We have titles. I mean, it's an actual real film. I have my ten or twelve notes, but hmm. only two or three of them have to be done. The rest, you know, I can live with mm-hmm. uh, because there are realities and the film. You know, was made a certain way and a certain approach, and and I can live with it if that's how the film's going to be. But the film is done. So what happened today is he sent that to I think five, maybe six sales agents who have been in conversations with him about this film for the last few months. They're eagerly eagerly waiting to see it, and so hopefully some meetings will come out of those. Um, I didn't mention this to you, Armin, but also somewhere along the way, Zurich Film Festival asked us for a copy, said they wanted to pre-screen it. Good. So we sent them a copy of it. Awesome. Um, Cool. So so distribution is looking like it's on the horizon. uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's hard (laughs) to say. but Everything after this point is just gravy. I got to make my movie my way. I'm incredibly proud of it. And I don't know, some family member was asking me about it last week, and I said, if everyone who spent their time on it values that time, it's a success hmm. for me. Cool. That's that is, that is so I great. Think. Well, c- congratulations again. It's a really beautiful film, and I'm, I'm really glad I got a chance to see, uh, to see a, a cut. I really Ar- enjoyed it. And yeah. Armin's amazing in it. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. Thank um, you. I haven't seen it yet, so I... Uh, oh, you haven't? No. <laughs> no. That, there, that scene between you guys, the one in the, the big one in the trailer, because we did link yeah. up to the sizzle reel on the website, so yeah. listeners who, have, who are listening to this episode who have seen the sizzle reel from Blake's previous interview will, will know what scene I'm talking about, but yeah. um, that's, that's intense, and what I loved about it was that there was an element of camaraderie that Armin's character tried almost tried to bring to the this incredibly tense situation just don't pull the trigger on that i was like who 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 asked that who in that in that moment who who says that you know but it it it, it was wonderful i had goosebumps i I, like i told you like i've been thinking about the film for for days after i watched it see it's already a success for me it's already a success and when people who see it have a have that kind of experience where they're still thinking about it or still that's yeah. Art is about creating catharsis in the audience. So you've gotten catharsis from at least one audience. Exactly. Yes. Victory. Victory. Yeah, yeah. And and the different ways that we deal with grief. You know, I love that uh, the, the woman who played your wife, uh, she had a beautiful arc, and she dealt with it a very different way than your character did. Your character really dealt with it. <laughs> I, think, I think I identify with it so much is because that's the way I think I would ha- handle a situation like that. I would just kind of... I don't know. What I'm trying to say, I guess, is it got me thinking about all the different ways that people can interpret and handle a, the, same, a, the same situation. And who do you see in the grocery store that you just don't, you don't know what's going on with people. You don't know what they're dealing with. doesn't mean everybody's going to be a sobbing mess if something happens. Some people are going to handle it completely differently. And 
I don't know. I, I loved it. Uh, before we, we awesome. go too far That's with right. it. That's awesome. So, um, Armin, I do want to take some time to, to speak to you about your journey. Because um, you, you've been in the industry for a long time. You're an accomplished actor. And I'd love to hear about where what kind of got you into this industry and what has kept you here i mean i know that's a big question so so uh, and i'm a very old person so that's a very long answer um (laughs) did you grow up in california i did uh yes and no no i grew up in new jersey and uh my mother did a very heroic thing she knew her her son who was in high school uh, needed to go to college and she couldn't afford college uh the university system, the UC system in California was very cheap in the 60s. So um, she packed us all up in a Volkswagen Bug and and drove from New Jersey to, to Santa Monica. And uh, we were enrolled in, in Santa Monica High School. And uh, I got my residency requirements to go to UCLA. And... Um, and I was going to become an attorney, and during the, my stay in 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 college, uh, I began to act, and I was very intrigued with my studies in Shakespeare, and I uh, was lucky enough to to become an apprentice at the Globe Theater in San Diego, where I thought I'd spend the rest of my life, and as. Blake was talking about before, things happen in the day that you don't expect and it changes your life forever. Um, I made a horrendous mistake um, while in performance of one play and knew that I was never going to be asked back to uh, to that theater again. So that, uh, long story short, I moved to New York um, where I was lucky enough to do a number of Broadway shows and um, I became in my mother's eyes anyway, an actor. And uh, and then I was seduced by the dark side of the force. I came to Los Angeles thinking I would just stay for a short period of time. I've now been here for over 30 years. And, uh, and I've been very lucky. Things have worked out very well. And I've worked with some tremendous people. And uh, hopefully, like Blake, I recognize talent when I see it. So mm. Uh, mm. that's my journey. Wow. Okay. So I have a lot of questions about all the in-betweens there. Are you able to share about this momentous mistake that, sure, uh, uh, absolutely. that you made? I've, I've told the story many times. <laughs> Come to a Star Trek convention. You'll hear it. Uh, but I'll do it for your listeners as well. Um, I, was, uh, I was playing small parts. Uh, I was just out of college. I was playing small parts in the festival. I was understudying large parts. The man I was understudying... Uh, got a golden opportunity to do a pilot, but it required him to leave the latter part of the festival, the, the last three weeks of the festival. Um, the artistic director came to me and said, um, normally we would get an equity actor, a professional actor, to, to replace the person that you're understudying, but we love your work. Your work is really quite, quite good, and we think we'd like to give you the larger parts. We know that you'll, you're capable of doing them. At that time, I was 21, 22 years old. And these were the lead character parts. He was playing the lead character parts uh, in these three plays. So I rehearsed. Uh, I did what I was supposed to do. In my last performance, in one of my smaller parts, a, a character part called Bart, uh, Bardolph in Henry the in Henry the Fifth. Um. I had a change of costumes. I went up to my dressing room, which was way in the back because I was in an apprentice dressing room, 
And uh, I took off my first costume, which had been hanging together by a thread. Um, I really didn't much care for this costume. And because I thought it was my last time in it, I decided to destroy the costume uh, and, and tore it apart and ripped it into shreds and jumped up and down on it. And while I was jumping up and down, I heard the monitor and realized there was another scene that I was supposed to be in that costume downstairs that was happening right then and there on oh stage. Oh, my God, the actor's nightmare. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> How, after months of doing this play, I had forgotten there was one other scene? I don't know. I thank oh, God no. that I did because it, it all worked out well. But, but I couldn't get back in the costume. I heard them improvising Shakespeare downstairs oh on, my on God. the stage, waiting for me to show up because the scene was about me. It was about <laughs> me being given. And uh, I finally put on my other costume, thinking that's all I had, and rushed downstairs only to find the actors having just come off stage. <laughs> and daggers, daggers oh from all God. the people in the scene. Uh, I felt uh, incredibly small. Uh, within an hour or so, I was invited into the artistic director's office where he reamed me a new asshole and uh, told me if I didn't need you to take over these larger parts, I'd fire you right now. And uh, so, as I said, um, at that moment, I realized my career at the Globe was over. Uh, at least No mistake is not recoverable. Exactly. <laughs> but but <laughs> also, as I indicated before, I had during the course of the summer... I was working with a lot of actors from New York, a lot of really talented actors from New York. All of them tried to convince me to move to New York. I always replied, no, my life is in San Diego. I'm going to be doing Shakespeare for the rest of my life. I'm going to work here. This is where I want to be. Uh, that afternoon when I had uh, a, a new butthole, um, <laughs> I... Um, I thought, maybe those guys from New York are right. Maybe I should go to New York. And, of course... Let uh, me put 3,000 miles between me and this mystery. Exactly. Maybe it won't get there. <laughs> and, uh, and the great thing, as we all learn in life, is sometimes our worst mistakes are the best things that could happen to us. Mm. And because I was forced to move to New York, um, um, my life, my career, my experiences, everything... Uh, was became a thousand times better because because I did make that particular choice. Wow! wow. Broadway shows, my wife, good friends, um, living in New York, uh, all major pluses. Uh, I still regret that I didn't have a life in San Diego. Um, but if I had to choose now, in hindsight, it would be a tough choice. But I would take the life that I was given. Hey guys, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed part two of our interview with Blake, or Trevor's interview with Blake and Armin. Or he gets to speak with Armin more in the third part of the interview, so tune in next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's such a nice guy. Um, this interview was done like a month ago, so I think some of the stuff that Armin talks about, like his show, Planet Antius, is actually closed now it's actually um passed but uh everything else is pretty timeless pick of the week uh yeah my pick of the week i'm gonna you know i thought about this and i was debating whether or not i was gonna do it and then i thought you know what it's it's always good to revisit uh the good stuff so i've had this pick of the week before but i'm gonna go ahead and bring it up again because i've been rereading it as i've been um really committing to 
Um, it's funny that we talked about just before the interview going all in because I've really been thinking about that recently and committing to the projects that I've been excited about, that I've got that feeling in my gut when I think about it. Like before I started this podcast, I remember I was talking about it and thinking about it and I had that feeling in my gut that was just like, this you can't work. deny. You yeah. can't deny. It's like, this is a good idea. And so I've had that feeling about a couple things and I thought, you know what? That swimming project, I don't yes. know if I've talked about it on the show, but... I have this idea for a, a swimming, um, which I think will probably be a web series to start to be developed into a pitch to networks, but basically Friday Night Lights, but in the world of competitive swimming. So obviously I get to write myself a nice juicy part, but I've got, I get that feeling in my stomach when I think of this. I'm just like, oh, this is a good idea. Like you can't deny this, Trevor. Like and the only thing that stands between me and this thing being a reality is me doing the work, me showing up and doing the work and committing. And uh, I made the decision the other day. I was talking to a friend, a coworker, and she was telling me about a web series she's doing, and it's being done by these like kind of you know players in Hollywood. They're they're shooting this web series, and I was like, I just I don't know something clicked. I was like, if those guys are doing the new media thing, and I was like, then I can t- like there's no the production value can still be extremely high on something like this. And I was looking at this underwater footage and realizing <laughs> you can get GoPro cameras for only a couple hundred bucks and shoot great underwater footage. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it. So I picked up uh, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, yes. again, which is a great book. And I, I've read it before and I've kind of referenced it a couple times uh, here and there, but I really went back and started rereading it. And it's such a great blueprint for how to develop like nuts and bolts, how to develop a well-balanced screenplay. It's around feature films. So um, I'm, I'm using some of the elements for, for my thing, which I think will be a web series, but it's just so great. It's like a must read, even if you don't want to do writing at all, just to know how screenplays and movies are structured and what goes into each scene and what happens and what needs to happen at what point in the movie and what piece that serves in the overall mythical structure of the story. It's, mm-hmm. it's just fucking brilliant, man. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. And there's the homework. If you don't have that book, go out and buy it right now. Done. Boom. It's, it's great. You know, what you're saying about production values, we cannot ignore. There's no such thing as new media. I, I, I know. Feel like you, you know, you're like, <laughs> if they're doing the new media thing, I'm like, dude, Kevin Spacey is doing the new media thing. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, it's so House true. of Cards. Okay. <clears throat> I was driving down one of the main drags in Los Angeles, and this always happens around um, awards time because it's the industry. So for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, this weird thing happens where we start – the industry starts selling to itself. It, it, it's a bit masturbatory, but it, but nevertheless, uh, there are billboards and signs and, and, and bus stop posters and stuff that are like for your consideration – in all categories, and this happens around Oscar time. It happens around Emmy time, um, and right now, I, I was driving down. I can't remember what street it was, but it was the, one of the main drags in L.A. And there's a huge billboard <clears throat> with Kevin Spacey on mm-hmm. it, you know, House of Cards, and it says for your consideration in all you know categories, including you know best original drama series or something like that for the Emmys. And I looked at that and I was like, holy crap! Like the internet has arrived yeah. because. It's going to win something. And, and it's good. <laughs> it's really good. And it's going to win something. Yeah. And people are going to go, but it's not television. And and then somebody else is going to go, yeah, prove it. Yeah, because it's done under a union contract. <clears throat> and it, it is, by definition, a web series. But it's done under a union contract. Mm-hmm. And it's it's re- it's got the right distribution platform. So why wouldn't it be 
uh, eligible. Yeah. For, Why not? Yeah. Why not? And 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 it's like okay, what network is it on? I don't know Netflix. Like it's just yeah. so yeah. I don't know my computer. Like I, it's just so it's just so bizarre. Like Dude, this whole thing is our, just so. Our kids are gonna have no concept of what it was like yeah. to sit down at a scheduled time and watch The Simpsons at eight o'clock on Thursdays. They're gonna be like, what? What? You had to wait for it to come on? Like, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be laughing what's at this Fox? exact conversation. Yeah, what's ABC? Yeah. Like, I, th- I thought that was a website. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Oh, it was this big box <laughs> in your living room. And you-, <laughs> and you had to go out and find them by the dumpster. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, way to close that loop. That Thank you nice. very much. Thank that you. That was nice. Good night, everybody. Don't forget to tip your waitress. <laughs> Try the veal. Love it. Uh, what's your pick of the week? I was looking for a resource so that we could put a, an actual link on the uh, the website for this, but I couldn't find one. So if anybody finds one, please, please uh, uh, tell me. But I Googled for a while and I was looking around. and But Trevor and myself and this mastermind group that we're a part of have been talking a lot about manifestation lately. Uh, a buddy of ours that's in the masterminds group, our, our buddy Brad, um, he and his uh, fiance girlfriend yeah uh, they soon to be probably. soon to be fiance they are they have like this the, the coolest freaking idea and it plays into like all of these other things so trevor was talking to us about the mind movie uh thing that was his pick of the week um several weeks ago um put about putting together a mind movie which is basically like a a, a, a video vision board and brad and his girlfriend do this thing called live vision boarding, which is my pick of the week. So essentially what they do, and some of you may have heard of this before, but they go out and they live the life unapologetically that they want to live. So if they want to live in a, in a multi-million dollar house on the beach, they go to an open house for a, a multi-million dollar house on the beach and walk around as though they are interested in buying it because they are as though they want to live there someday because they are and they take pictures and they imagine their stuff in there and they talk about what room would be theirs and what room would be their office and what room would be you know where they would do what and where they would do yoga and where they would put their stuff and like all this thing in 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 a house they do the same thing with car dealerships and this is the one that like i encourage anybody to do if you want to drive a beamer a mercedes uh an escalade which i don't recommend because they're huge and stupid but if you want to drive <clears throat> just lost that sponsor uh, if you want to drive a really nice car uh go out and test drive that car and and it's not about like you know messing with the sales guy it's just like you're you are actually interested in purchasing that car do you have the funds in your bank account right at this moment to buy it no you're not choosing to buy it now you're choosing to buy it later not you're doing your research yeah yeah exactly not i can't buy this then you ask the sales guy or your friend that went with you or your significant other that went with you to take a picture of you in that car or standing next to it and this is trevor's idea then go and take that picture and add it to your vision board or your mind movie yeah yeah so it's just like I, when he said this a couple months back, it blew my mind. I'm like, that is amazing. I mean, talk about manifesting your 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 world. And we could talk ad nauseum. Oh, we could go <laughs> about, five episodes with this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, about like how this stuff works. But Trevor was like dropping knowledge bombs like crazy the other night at our meeting about how the subconscious works and how it takes instructions and how it holds on to things. I think the thing that really hit me, Trev, was when you said the thing about like when um, we were tying our shoe 
and you said like the subconscious holds on to things so that your conscious doesn't have to, like mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it. So it holds on to things to, so that they're automatic and they're ha- like breathing <laughs> so that your mm-hmm. conscious mind, cause your conscious mind can only think about X number of things yeah, in one, any, one, one, one or two in, in max any, in any given yeah. moment, essentially going out and doing this live vision boarding or vision boarding or mind moving type stuff, programming your subconscious that these are the, this is, these are the things that you get to have in your life. These are the things that you get to, to manifest in your life. And I just thought that was so brilliant when Brad talked about it a couple months ago and just talking about it at the meeting the other night, like really fired me up. And so, um, you know, my girlfriend and I were talking about going and doing test drives and like all kinds. So I'm just, I'm really excited. That's so cool, man. Uh, quick story about that. Actually, it's funny because I've I've heard about the idea of live vision boarding, but I've never done it myself. Um, but in my mind movie, the one I have now, which is actually incomplete, but I just kind of was like, I wanted to have something, so I just started using that one, and actually never got around to completing it. But uh, I had a picture of a of a BMW 3 Series, a black Beamer, because I drove when I was younger. My, my familial circumstances, I kind of came into, I just started driving this old BMW we had and I fell in love with the cars cause they're great cars and I'm not a huge car guy, but Beamers are great. Um, <laughs> and I'm also not a dick driver just so you know, <clears throat> I'm not one of those Beamer drivers. <clears throat> uh, but I had on my vision board that, uh, or my, my movie that I, that I drive a BMW three series, a black BMW three series. And I had a picture of it and everything. Well, wouldn't you know, uh, two months, about two months after I started watching that mind movie, my friend Maddie calls. You know Maddie, I think. Maddie DuPont. Oh, yeah. She calls, and she's like, Trev, she drives a black BMW 3 Series. She goes, Trev, uh, I have this eye surgery next week, and uh, I'm wondering if, if if I can pick you or if you can drive me to the eye appointment and then just keep my car for a day or two. <clears throat> and then uh, when I and then pick me up, drive me back to get the other eye done, and then, you know, and then I'll take the car back or whatever. And I was like, okay. So I'm driving this BMW 3 Series around, and I'm like, wow, how many times did I imagine myself behind the wheel of this car? Just for a couple months. I was like, and here it is. But guess what? I wasn't specific about owning the car. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm just driving it for a few days. So and one of those lessons that you get exactly what you ask for. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you ask for. Some things take longer than others, but if you just repeat it enough, your subconscious goes, okay, okay, already, okay, okay. <laughs> And I don't know how these things work, but they do almost without fail every single time. And that was just one of those things where I was like, I was sitting there. I was like, oh my God, it happened, but it's not mine. Yeah. And that happened because I never said it had to be mine. Oh, <coughs> damn it. Okay, cool. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> back, you know? to the dr- back to the vision board. Yeah. Or the mind movie, as it were. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. just thought it was a cool story. Yeah, no, I love it. So, um, you know, homework, create a vision board, create a mind movie, um, and do some live Live vision boarding. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't cost love anything. It, love it. Um, love cool. it. So we have a listener pick of the week from uh, listener KC, who's been very uh, awesome about just communicating with us and sending us stuff. And uh, he sent us a video by Sarah Borellis called Brave. And he basically uh, sent it to us because we were talking about dancing, I think. Because we did, we talked about dancing in the oh, you're training talking about your, we did. Your Tom York. My Tom York video. And, yeah. And, uh, and this video is awesome because it's all about, it's basically like hidden camera footage of people dancing in public places. And it's, it's really cool. And it's a good song too. So, yeah. uh, that is on our website under, uh, under the show notes, <clears throat> listener pick of the week. And it's a fun video to watch and it makes you feel good. 
it also kind of makes you want to go out and dance and not give a shit what people think. Yes. Because they're going to forget about it in five minutes anyway. Yes. Or uh, not. Or not. Or, <laughs> or you could change their life. Yeah, or you could change their life. <laughs> True. Exactly. So I think that about wraps it up then for yes. episode 111. Yeah. Yeah. So insideactingpodcast.com is our website. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email us at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail. 2132-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. Uh, so give us your two cents. Give us some tips. Give us uh, your experience on something, and we'll uh, get your voice on the show as well. Yeah, thrival job stories, Craigslist stories. We've got a lot dumpster of diving stories. Dumpster diving stories. Hey. We've got a lot of requests out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> a lot uh, of homework. <laughs> yeah, totally. You can find us uh, pretty much all over the internet as well. Facebook.com slash inside acting, Twitter.com slash inside acting. And we're also on Twitter individually. We haven't mentioned that for a while, but yeah. uh, you can follow us as well. Um, Twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. Okay. Twitter.com slash digital actor. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, ins- uh, Inside Acting on Actor Rated and iTunes. Just do a little search there and leave us a five-star review, if you will. If not, call the podcast and tell us why. Yeah. First. Let us fix it. If we don't fix it, then give us a bad review. There you go. Say, These guys don't listen to feedback. <laughs> there you uh, go. And then, of course, if you want to support the podcast in a much more tangible way, kick us some money. On our website, there's a donate button on the right-hand side. We accept donations through PayPal, either one-time lump sums or recurring monthly donations. And those go a long way. Those those are really um, the fuel in the engine that keeps the podcast running. So uh, we can never really have enough of that coming in, uh, <laughs> especially as we build our team and want to compensate people for the time and energy they're putting into it. So please uh, consider doing that if you get any value at all out of this podcast. Um, you know, even just a, a buck here and there would make a difference. So uh, yeah, insideactingpodcast.com. And it's a tax-deductible donation if you're an actor or in the entertainment industry at all you can write this off as an education expense so go ahead and uh, do that it doesn't take long and it builds nice good karma for you <laughs> there you go